Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Bron Burton. And I'm the cabin boy. How are you, cabin boy? Good. I'm kind of like a migratory whale, a little bit lost. <laughs> yeah, just been circling around, waiting to come into the studio. <laughs> That's appropriate. We're going to talk whales, aren't we? We are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. And uh, you're gearing up for some community cup training shortly too? Well, what's the weather for it? I was going to say it's a good weather for goths, really, yeah. isn't it? Like it's uh, raining and dark out there, but um, it's behind the scenes. You don't realise what the community cup is. How many people put such an effort in, like going out, freezing cold in the rain, miserable, but yeah. having a great time. Exactly, that's what we do. Yes. Hey, speaking of having a great time, Tim Thorpe has a great time. Well, I'm assuming he does. He does. because We have a great time listening to him. And also kind of giving him a little stir when we come in, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Tim, very much for Vital Bits, three hours this morning, three hours yesterday morning, and uh, Andrew for Soulful Bits. Oh, I missed things to do today because we were yakking about today's show. What were we... Thank... Who did it? Edith. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Edith. (laughs) Sorry for not listening. I might might go back via Radio On Demand and have a listen. Well, she always says she's part of the uh, Radio Marinara crew because she's always on beforehand. Ah, did she say that? She did say that. Oh, welcome, Edith. Yeah. We'll have to do a a special um, French special show. Well, I said you need to come in and do the uh, What's On Live. So, yeah. Because yeah. I, I love Great idea. Edith's voice. Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, you can catch uh, Tim and his crew next Saturday and Sunday, of course, for more Vital Bits. Now, today's program. Um, last week, we spent the show really focused on what happens on the western side yep. of this wonderful country, um, coastal and marine. And we decided to start this week's show there. Uh couldn't tear ourselves away from the West. So we're going to be speaking with Marinara dive reporters Cara Hull, who is over in Western Australia at the moment, and Mara Kelly, who is over here. And they're basically kind of representing both extremes of the Great Southern Reef. Yep. Which is pretty cool. Um, so uh, Mara's down on the Mornington Peninsula. So we'll be asking them for their respective perspectives as participants in <laughs> Sea Dragon Search. We spoke with Dr Nerida Wilson about Sea Dragon Search last week. But Cara and Mara are both active participants in that program. So we'll speak with them about that. Um, and just generally what it, what it means to be a marine and coastal volunteer. We've just completed National Volunteer Week and, yes. you know, incredible work that, that goes on. We know many of you listening are uh, involved in various community groups and put in huge amounts of effort and time to make the marine and coastal environment a better place. So um, this is a bit of a hat tip to you, but just to reflect on that as well. And uh, then we're going to wrap up with a coast-to-coast dive report. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're here, there and everywhere, aren't we, really? We are. I think the conditions uh, in Western Australia might be a bit better than they are here today. <laughs> um, we are then going to uh, go to Sydney and speak with artist Lee 
Kanna Lichtenberger, about her exhibition called All to Lose, which is on now in St Albans um, Art Spaces. And it's an absolutely stunning exhibition using all sorts of different media, um, photographic video work, but but other um, media as well, looking at um, an examination of some iconic Antarctic landscapes through a different lens, so through an artistic lens, but also really focusing, you know, honing in on remote locations and how they can be affected, not just by a physical presence, but also from from presence from a distance. What does oh. that mean? So we'll be speaking with Lee about that. And there's such beautiful landscape from Antarctica, isn't it? So yeah. if you can capture that, that'd be amazing. And then when you drill down sort of what's actually there. Um, so really looking forward to speaking with Lee. And then for the first time, very long overdue for 2023, not first time ever, but first time for this year, uh, we're going to welcome back to Radio Marinara our charismatic megafauna advisor <laughs> and expert, Dave Donnelly, um, from both Kilowells Australia and Dolphin Research Institute. So he'll be bringing us up to speed on the annual whale migrations now underway from um, the deep south to various northern locations. And um, Dave describes it as a whale soup out there at the moment. So we're going to find out what that means. I'd like to see that, a whale soup. That comes in handy because I've got a little bit of news about some killer whales that I'll talk about later. But um, you did promise to play the third track too today. Yes. <laughs> so again, <laughs> if you're wondering what that means, we, we have a, a bit of a, a An in-joke there. Yeah, we, uh, we often get so caught up in conversation, always plan a third track and often don't get to play it but we're we'll see if we can get that in today because it's a good one Triple R. Um, we've got a minute or two for some brief news, if you have any, Cabin Boy. Uh, well, we had Peter Ford in uh, oh, a couple of months ago. He headed over to England for the Clip Around the World series, which is a yacht race around the world. Um, apparently, he has been signed to a crew. He's done his training and he's signed up to a crew, which is good news. And um, hopefully we'll get back in touch with him to find out what he went on. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. That'd be great. Uh, I've got some... Killer whale news because it's come into the uh, mainstream now. It's been on quite a few of the sailing forums over the last couple of years. Um, Off the Iberian Peninsula, the killer whales are starting to attack boats. So in the last three years, three boats have actually been sunk by killer whale attacks. Oh, wow. So uh, the majority of the attacks there are on sailboats and catamarans. And what's happening there, um, it seems to be the, the matriarch of the group, of the pod, and she's teaching the youngsters to attack these boats. So uh, they're running their teeth along the hull and they're, they're kind of zooming in on the rudder. So once the rudder's broken on a boat, it doesn't go anywhere. So um, so it's quite intelligent what they're up to. And as I said, three have been sunk. So not quite sure why. I tried to find out a bit, but one um, reason was, or one thing put forward was um, the matriarch had had a bad experience with a boat. Okay. And so now she's training the youngsters to uh, also, you know, take it out on the, the boats too. So there's probably many other theories, but we, we'll ask Dave about that Amazing. too. Amazing. I'm just worried. I fear for us if the orcas ever join up with the kraken, we are lost. <laughs> we are done for. I'm never going to see again if that's happened. So, yes. Stay tuned, Kevin Boyd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worst nightmare. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. All right, let's ask Dave about this one later on. Fantastic. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. 
Did you know, Cabin Boy, that Louie Louie is the world's most recorded rock song? No, I didn't know that because it has been uncovered by quite a few artists, hasn't it? Well... I was looking this up yesterday. Published estimates ranging from over 1,600 to more than 2,000 recordings from artists from uh, all over the world dating back from 1953 when Richard Berry first recorded it. But then, of course, Kingsman made it really famous. But, yeah, it's been recorded nearly 2,000 times. Beats smoke on the water, doesn't it? (laughs) I think it, well, obviously, yes, it does. <laughs> so incredible. Now, on last week's program, we spoke with Dr. Nerida Wilson, co-founder of Sea Dragon Search from her base in Perth. We talked about the program, the data collection across the entire Great Southern Reef and some of the great contributions made by volunteer community scientists to the program. Two of Sea Dragon Search's greatest contributors are Radio Marinara's own dive reporters, Cara Hull and Myra Kelly. Between them, they've contributed hundreds of observations and photographs to contribute to the ever-growing database of information. Currently, there are, get this, Captain Boy, 3,669 individual weedy sea dragons and 358 leafy sea dragons. They've been identified from over 11,300 observations. I reckon there's more out there. I reckon there probably are too. <laughs> um, now, Cara and Myra are currently 3,500 kilometres apart. Cara's in Perth, Myra's on the Mornington Peninsula. It's with great pleasure we're going to cross to them now. Our two magnificent dive reporters to talk about their experiences with Sea Dragon Search, what it means to volunteer to do good things for the marine and coastal environment and the wonders of diving on the Great Southern Reef from coast to coast. Good morning, Cara. Good morning, Mara. Good morning, Ron. Cara, how are you going? <laughs> Hello. Boy. Good morning. I can see which one's from Perth and which one's down the morning down Peninsula. Mm. <laughs> That's a funny observation. Of course, you listening, people listening out there can't can't see this, but we're watching both Cara and Myra in their cars, and Cara has all sorts of sunshine shining through her window, and uh, yeah, it's a little bleak where you are, Mara. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh... Pretty good day for ducks. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of condensation happening too, I see, in the inside window. <laughs> I'm, I'm here in the car at the moment at Sorrento Ferry Terminal with my uh, my, di- my dive buddy for today and, and partner, um, Paolo, and we're, we're fucking the windows off. <laughs> Is the heater on? <laughs> no, 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 not at the, not at the moment. We, uh, we did stop down uh, on the way down. We checked Blair, got out of the car there, and... Um, Look, it's, it's probably diveable, uh, but it's a, looking a bit of a, a bust this morning. Um, it's, yeah, there's a really strong northerly wind coming through, blowing at about 22 knots. Um, and I think we've also got a about a 2.5 metre swell. So it would be diveable, but it's uh, it's probably not going to be that enjoyable down there today. So well, Cut um, to the chase. Are you going in or are you not going in? I'll... Look, there's a, there is the fear of missing out, and you've got to be in it to win it. But um, yeah, it, it's probably not looking promising for today. No. <laughs> so that's a no. That that could be a, that could be a no. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm putting sunscreen on. <laughs> yeah. Rub it in, Cara, literally and metaphorically. Love it. Now look, we've just um, celebrated the end of National Volunteer Week, and as I mentioned, this is a question to you both to start with: What is it about the marine and coastal environment that gets you volunteering week in, week out? Um, yeah, I, I got the pleasure to go out with Narada and do one of the sea dragon searches, and we went off Cottesloe Beach. So it's great that I could come over here and meet up with someone. And Cottesloe, for people who don't know, is quite a city beach. And we ended up finding, I think, four juveniles and a couple of adults. So it was really great fun just to see what it's 
how it's different over here, how the ecosystem changes, but it, you know, it's very similar, I guess, with how the, where they sit in the weeds for the weed to see dragons. But yeah, it's so great to participate to that and um, see where they go. And when you've logged it up into our, into Sea Dragon Search, you can see them again later on. You get sort of email updates of every time someone sees them again. Did you go to Perth specifically to do Sea Dragon Search to be part of it there? Not really. I'm just extending my summer because autumn's <laughs> a great time to dive in Perth and it's 21 degrees here and 20 degrees in the water still. <laughs> uh, Myra, how about you? What got you involved in Sea Dragon Search and with all the other volunteer work that you do as well? Uh, look, I think probably the catalyst um, getting into Sea Dragon and also uploading in, um, photos into INAT was uh, Cade Mills from uh, Victoria National Parks Association. Um, and I just see it as a, a really great way of being able to give back. Um, there's so many people out there that have got cameras in their hands and, you know, we're all snapping photographs of our um marine life that we're interacting with every you know every dive that we're doing but there's a way to give back and I, I guess learn more about the magnificent reef system that we have there's so much that I don't know about um and it's a it's a really great learning opportunity for me um I, I sort of don't always know what I'm what I'm looking at what I'm photographing and then I come back and upload the images and it's you know I, I've, I've then got an opportunity to geek out uh, and I, I can lose hours over that, um, and not just learning what I've I've photographed. Uh, then also looking at the stories behind each individual sea dragon, um, and that you know who who photographed them first, uh, how many years ago, um, you know whether they were part of the original sea dragon search, uh, which I think was Dra Dragon Quest. Um, and basically just learning about their story and and ed ed education for me overall and contributing to a, a large database. Yeah, and we've seen the rise and rise of um, many community scientist or science-based programs. So we're talking about Sea Dragon Search at the moment, but, of course, there's, um, uh, there's uh, Reef Watch. I I'm trying not to call it Nudie Watch. Um, <laughs> the... the <laughs> Sea slug well, that's senses. Up. That's coming up soon. So everyone needs to get their their, their slug shots sent in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we uh, we always give that one a big profile as well. But there's so much other community based volunteer work in the marine and coastal environment. Cara, I know we were going to talk about this last week. We had a few little tech issues and couldn't get you on. But um, there were something that in particular that you wanted to give a shout out to as well. Other citizen science programs, community science programs. Uh, definitely. Um, you know, the Northern Pacific Sea Stars, um, Nudibranch, Fish Counts, I think all of it, and all of it going up into iNaturalist and what can be done with that data. You know, not just the projects that are happening now, but, you know, the things that can be done in the future. And I guess also a shout out to the volunteers who are always cleaning up, whether that's organised or not organised. You know, there's always people under our piers with clean-up containers, and that's the same here in Perth or doing a beach clean-up or anything just to get rid of that sort of debris that could get washed back into our oceans. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All the, all the uh, great volunteer work that um, Sea Shepherd does as well, all the various branches of Sea Shepherd. Mari, are you going to... Yeah, well, and also the various beach patrol groups as well. You know, there's a lot of volunteers that, you know, they, they may not uh, be under the, un, under the water like we are, but they have a, you know, their coastal connection is in a different way. And... Um, yeah, I know Frankston Beach Patrol. They've got a uh, a clean up at Oliver's Hill next uh, Saturday, the seventeenth of June. Um, I believe yesterday there was an Undaria 
and NPS cleanup um, under Brighton Pier. I think that was with Ocean Divers. There's um, this, the under-area cleanup that they were supposed to have, I think, last weekend uh, over the other side of the bay at St Leonard's and Port Arlington Pier. I, I think that had to be rescheduled. But there's, yeah, lots of ways that people have that coastal connection. Um, and, yeah, it's really wonderful. Let's talk a little bit more about Sea Dragon Search um, before we move on and talk about the the Great Southern Reef more broadly. Um, now, we mentioned you're both actively involved as com- community participants. Um, Cara, I asked you the question about why you went to Perth. Have you got a, a favourite observation um, from your time over there? Um, look, I really wanted to see the ruby sea dragons because it's another species. <laughs> but when I arrived here, I was told by a sea dragon searcher that that's not quite at the depths there. I think they're down at 60 metres or below. So I will still try and do that at some point. <laughs> wow. That's pretty impressive. How about you, Myra? You're actually on the Sea Dragon Search leaderboard at the moment. Very impressive. Went and had a look at it last night. So you're up there, right up there. I think you're in the top five for both observations and photographs sent in as well. Do you um do you go looking for sea dragons specifically when you dive, or is it that you submit your photos when you come across them? Uh, look, it's a bit of both. Um, yeah, look, I've got, for for the numbers that I've put through uh, in the last month. I do need to give a massive thank you to Nerida and to Chrissy from Sea Dragon Search. I used some of my downtime to go through my archives um, over, I think, back to like 2021. And it was a really big process. Uh, they helped me get all of the, the data in there. Um, and so it wasn't so much about, you know, leaderboard. It was just giving the data through to the project. Um Conversely, you know, when we do head out now to Portsea and Flinders, we typically do head off the beaten path um, to try to find new sea dragons. And it is, it, it's, it, it's really, really cool when you get that email come through to say, hey, you've found a new dragon. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, on one dive, um, I, I think I did one dive at Flinders one day, we went quite a way out towards, uh, towards West Head. And I, I think on one dive, I think I found four new dragons. <gasps> wow. So, uh, That's yeah, great. It's, it is really cool. Um, so you get that initial, the, the initial email saying that you've, um, yeah, identified a new dragon. And then to be able to then see other photographers that have been in the water, um, who else has photographed that dragon, um, to know, you know, who's been in the water with you, you know, over the, 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 those similar period of, periods of time. Um, but also to be able to, you know, if some of the dragons have got a low ID number, um, to be able to go back and see who photographed it and to know that they're still photographing dragons around you in the water, you know, a few years later. So it is cool. And the great thing is that you're, neither of you are are trained as marine scientists or marine biologists. This is, this is training on the job really, um, because it is scientific work that you're doing and it's part of a program. So it's, it's just fantastic. Well, Cara's got the science background. I (laughs) certainly don't. (laughs) Well, I guess the point is you don't need to have one. So. No, no, not at all. And that's, that's the really great thing to be able to um, yeah, do something that is a, a really enjoyable pastime, but also to be able to be a participant in some really wonderful research. Yeah. Now, bird watches are called twitches. Is there a name for our uh, sea dragon uh, watches? 
dragon hunters. Ah, <laughs> yeah, nice. And it's almost hairy dragons, kind of. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let's spend a minute um, talking about the diving on the Great Southern Reef because you're both at opposite ends of it at the moment, which I think is super cool, Cara, over in Perth, um, Myra, uh, down here in the Mornington Peninsula, and you're both really passionate about this particular reef. Um What's the current dive? What's your diving experience? Um, what are your observations of diving on the Great Southern Reef? Particularly, uh, maybe this is one for you, Cara, because you've you've now got the experience of diving at, at both ends. Are you, can you see some similarities and some differences? Definitely, and I mean, I I really do love the Great Southern Reef, but I guess the difference is here is we've got the Lewin Current coming down the western coast of Australia, so bringing sort of coral polyps and stuff from Ningaloo, <laughs> what we we're talking about last week. But yeah, you see the hard corals and the soft corals that we don't quite see in Melbourne. And I'm just about to jump on a boat and go out for a grey nurse shark dive. So, go <laughs> take home, Bruce, for me. <laughs> <laughs> where are you? Where are you diving? Um, we're just going over to Rottnest Island. Yep. So the weather has to be sort of perfect to go and see the population over there of grey nurse sharks, and it is today. Yeah. And uh, Myra, Great Southern Reef, what does that mean for you? You don't, you don't get the grey nurse shark dive, not today anyway. No. Look, shark diving for me is a hard no in general. <laughs> 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 Though some, some are trying to talk me around. Um, look, diving the Great Southern Reef, to be completely honest, I really don't know much different. All of my diving has been on the Mornington Peninsula with the exception of a, uh, a bit of a side trip up to Marlow and Gabo Island. But, um, yeah, you know, the, the Mornington Peninsula, you've got the, the diversity of the, the, the pier dives and the the boat dives, um, getting out, you know, seeing, seeing what we've got in the middle of Port, Port Phillip Bay on Lonsdale Wall, um, Portsy Hole, and then out through the heads. It's it's incredible. Um, and then a, a crossover to, uh, you know, oh, what was the dive we did the other day? Um, George Commode on the Bass Coast. Um, so, you know, you've got different wreck dives. Um, the diversity of the, the ecosystem, um, the, the marine species and the, the, the plant life that we see is just so colourful. And I, I think that's where, you know, some people are probably a little bit put off by the cold. Um, Melbourne's Melbourne diving is not always cold. Yes. Uh, but the colour, the colour is just next level epic. Um, yeah, the, the marine plants and the sponges, the, the sponge gardens, I, I can't begin to describe how much of a salty wonderland it is under there. On, on some of the dives, um, Lonsdale Wall, Boarfish Reef, Lonsdale Arches, you you know, you, you go through some of the sponges that resemble, you know, giant hands and other others that look like huge teacups that you might fall into. Um, there's large dinner plates that are stacked on top of each other that look like corkscrews. Um, but the colour uh, of the ascidians, um, the hydroids, the the uh, the yellow zoanthids, I think that's how you pronounce them on the on the walls. When you light them up with a torch, it's just like a field of daisies hanging on the, on a wall as you glide past it. It's beautiful. It's a really good description of it. Um, I, I remember it from when I've dived there. Hey, we'll have to wrap this up. Um, I'm just uh, as I could talk to you about all of this stuff for a long time, but I know Kara, you're itching to get out there on the boat. I know it's only seven thirty in the morning where you are at the moment. Um, but have a great time with your with your shark diving today. Um, yeah, super quick dive report. I guess it's just going to be amazing. What's the water temperature over there? Just to make us all jealous. Still 20 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> she wobbled her head in an arrogant way, didn't she, when she said that? And Myra, what's the water temperature over here? 
Over here, we're between uh, 13 and 14. Oh, and my goodness. Fast. Yeah. Worth diving anywhere today, Myra? Uh, look, as I said, there was people getting in at Blair. Um, we might go past and have a look. Uh, all, all boat dives, unfortunately, have been cancelled, um, the weather. But there's also some dredging happening uh, in the heads. Um, so that's affected visibility a little bit. But I don't know. Got to be in it to win it. So, It'd be, it'd be warmer in the water than out of the water today. It, I, think it, I think it would be, yes. Yeah. Yeah, especially with that wind chill factor as well. Hey, thanks so much to both of you. It's been an absolute joy speaking with you both. Um, Cara Hull over in Perth, Myra Kelly over here on the Mornington Peninsula. And um, stay safe, enjoy your diving. We'll catch up both of you uh, in the next couple of weeks. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. See ya. See ya. Bye for now. Bye. Oh, fantastic stuff. I'm jealous, Cabin Boy. Well, just the description too of the uh, of the diving. It sounded fantastic. Yeah. Oh. I love a good shark dive. Oh. I haven't done one for a while. <laughs> Great nurses. Amazing. Kind of not sure about that either. Yeah. <laughs> Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Ah, yes, indeed, you are listening to Radio Marinara, where the time is coming up to 9.39. Now I've done my big introduction to Lee Cannon-Lichtenberger. We're going to go straight to Sydney to speak with her now about her wonderful new exhibition, All to Lose. Good morning, Lee. Welcome to Triple R. Good morning. It's wonderful to be on Triple R, Bron. Oh, look, it's great to have you with us. Sorry we had a little technical hitch. We couldn't get you on Skype, but we've got you on the phone, so uh, wonderful to have you with us. I want to start with asking you about yourself, Lee. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your art? Um, I noticed, I having a look at your website last night, you describe yourself as an environmentally engaged artist. Yeah, yeah. Look, I... Um I've oh, I've been in the art world for quite a number of decades now. I don't want to admit that one. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> and, you know, I sort of started as a traditional landscape painter and went into printmaking, and, and I've always sort of had a connection to the land. But it wasn't until probably the last 15 years that I've really been interested in how we engage uh, in the land and what we remove and, and how we delete the history of the landscape that we connect with. And so, you know, that has been really interesting for me. And now I'm more engaged. I've done my master's. I woke up one morning and said to my late husband, I said, you know, I'd like to do my master's. And he said, yeah, no, it's March. And I, <laughs> bit of a late start there, and it wasn't until I was in my fifties that I did my masters, and um, I wanted to shift my focus to create works that didn't necessarily have a saleable element. I mean, you know, they were more about the narrative and the dialogue and what, you know, what I was talking about. Do you um do you think many artists are environmentally engaged? I'm just thinking with your networks and with people who you come across and meet. Is this something that is is more or less common? I think it's becoming a lot more common. Uh, I think there's been a definite move away from those who just do it for the aesthetic beauty to those who are really wanting to make a change. And whether that means they're making the change through um, their own practice and how they, uh, what materials they use 
you know, some are using uh, very environmentally friendly materials and and there's definitely been a shift in art schools away from a, more of the, the toxicity that has been associated with art for hundreds of years. And you have a particular focus on consumerism um, and its impact on islands. We're sort of narrowing down now from interest in environmental right down to the impact of consumerism on impacts on islands uh, and isolated environments in the age of the Anthropocene and climate change. I love this. (laughs) Do you feel like what you do is really bringing science and art together? Yeah, yeah, and, and that, I think, is really important. I think, you know, it, we, for a long time, have sat as two separate fields and the importance of them both being connected engages the greater community because of the narratives that we can bring as a team. And, I mean, when you look back at history, you know, um, I mean, you can go back to Da Vinci. He's like the icon. But throughout the ages, it's always been a connection between the two. We've never been separate, you know, for the last few hundred or so years that we've now separated ourselves. Um, let's focus on your trip to Antarctica. Um, what took you there? Had you been there before? No, I'd never been there before. Um, I was, I, I had an idea in my head that I wanted to create an artwork that took our every day and brought it to Antarctica and then, um, brought it back. So I was doing a lot of street scenes from ground level videoing and I took those street scenes uh, to Antarctica and I projected them onto melting glacier and that brought us to the present there. And then I videoed those and brought them back so that we don't see how our daily lives in general, you know, flick over um, these these uh, ramifications of just crossing the road, of building the road, of the electric light, of all of these things are impacting on Antarctica mm. and the Arctic. Yeah. Um, particularly how we get there as well. So it's even just those modes of transport, how we actually get down to remote places or up to remote places if we're heading north. Um, I know this from our conversation yesterday, Lee, before uh, when we were sort of talking about chatting today, how you actually got down there. And there were two particular islands that you went to, um, Deception Island and I haven't written down the name of the second one. Livingston Island. Livingston Island. Um, so we have Cabin Boy with us today who is is all aware of all things uh, relating to sailing And because I know the answer to this question. Can you describe how you got down there? Because it's not by the usual conventional methods or these days conventional methods of getting down to Antarctica. No, no. Look, I... Um I had an epiphany and uh, went with a not-for-profit and it was their very first journey down there and they took us on a 12-and-a-half-metre sailing boat called the Galook. Wow. Um, and it was pretty uh, pretty extraordinary. There were nine of us on board this vessel um, and we were hot bunking. Um, it was, I mean, it was really epic. Okay, hot bunking is where you get out and the next person can get in and get sleep. But unfortunately for me, my my bunk mate got seasick and so would not leave the bunk. 
<laughs> so I spent most of the trip during all the storms and everything sort of curled up in my sleeping bag um, inside the vessel itself just on a seat. Because you are in the Southern Ocean, so uh, that is uh, hats off to you for doing that. That is a, a, an epic trip. It was. I mean, it, it. we were on board for 19 days. Yeah. Um, it took us six days to get there and six days to get back. Wow. Um, but that first six days was um, extraordinary because we, just as we sort of, we could see Deception Island. So we've been traveling for days and days and days and the seas had been huge. Like we did not have the Drake Lake in <laughs> any shape. And just as we could see it ahead, we were about five hours from it. We got hit by this massive storm and it ran for 35 hours. Oh no. Did you get pushed back or... Oh, yeah, we did. It was just epic. It was so bad that by the time we made it to Deception Island, the boom pin was half out. The throttle cable was almost broken. We had no electrics for anything hot like water, um, you know. So it was it was pretty amazing. And we spent a few days, we then spent three days in Deception Island in that caldera, which is amazing. Got to bathe in the um, volcanic water that are there, um, which is pretty weird because you've got like a foot of really hot water and a foot of Arctic water underneath. It was just extraordinary. Amazing. Um, And the Spanish station helped us out. They helped us repair our vessel and, um, yeah, it was just extraordinary. You would have had a fair bit of time to think too, like, uh, because there's not much to do on a boat once you're uh, underway. No, no, not at all. Yeah. So I come up with the next project, I'd imagine, (laughs) or thought never again on a boat. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going back, but I'm going, I'm going with an environmentally, this, this November, actually, I'm going back with an environmentally um, conscious Australian tour group uh, called Aurora. Um, They've got, they're aiming for like zero footprint and they've got new vessels and um, do a lot of citizen science and... Lee, we'll uh, have to move in a second just because we've got another guest to bring in. Um, but uh, I was wondering if you could just talk us through your exhibition, All to Lose. I, I had a look at the catalogue online and it looks extraordinary. But can you talk us through some of the major pieces that, that you have as part of this ex- exhibition? As I mentioned, it's in St Albans. We'll give all of the details in just a moment. But, um, yeah, maybe some of the signature pieces you have there. Yeah, there's um, three uh, three signature pieces in the exhibition. Um, one piece is uh, Unhappy Feet. Unhappy Feet are, uh, are two photographic images. Um, they're two metres by a metre, and they are of all that remains of the penguin that had eaten a single piece of plastic netting. And they, unfortunately, the penguin had to consume the entire net. So what you were left with was this impression of its entire internal organs. Um, you can see where the heart was and the livers and all of this and down to its anus and up in its throat. And that's a really disturbing work um, for obvious reasons. You know, that's just one of the billions of plastics that um, float around our oceans. Another is um, dissipation. Um, this this is the second uh, iteration of dissipation. It's a five-panel pentaptych. Um, it's a dye sublimation, so that's a, a print onto a transparent fabric called voil. 
and it floats and moves as you walk past it. But at the bottom of it, it's quite shredded. And it's, you know, the, the glacier, so the images of the glacier from Livingston Island. And as the the voile itself is shredded at the bottom, you know, it's that sense of the the water that is just, you know, pouring off these um, amazing ancient glaciers into our ocean. Um, and do I have time for the final yes, piece? Yes, yes, please. <laughs> please do. <laughs> Um, and the other one is, um, uh, oh, my God, the title just popped out of my head. It's a six-metre-long, um, six, six metres long and 60 centimetres wide. Is it Legacy? No, it's not Legacy, oh. but Legacy is a really interesting one. Legacy is in a um, light box, and that's looking at the... Um, all of those vessels and timber um, debris that we have just abandoned there. You know, we didn't bother and haven't bothered to um, to clean up our disaster on Deception Island after the whaling and science. We just leave it and walk away and then we sell it as a tourist destination. <laughs> yes, indeed. So um, we'll need to move on, Lee, but it's been wonderful speaking with you. As we mentioned, your exhibition's called All to Lose and it's on right now at... Um, is it Art Spaces, Bowery Gallery in St Albans? Yes. 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 Um, we've already, yeah. already put a link to that on our Facebook page if you have a look at the um, at our, our uh, messaging, <laughs> our, our little piece about today's program on our Facebook page. You'll um, just click on the photo of you, actually, Lee, um, standing oh, in Antarctica with a great background behind, and that will take you through the details to, um, to go along to this wonderful exhibition. Oh, look, thank you so much, Bron and Cabin Boy, for having me on to talk about Antarctica all to lose because it really is all to lose. Indeed. And I know you've got another exhibition coming up um, at Monsalvat in August, but we'll, um, we'll catch up with you closer to the time about that one. Wonderful. Look forward to it, Bron. Great. Thanks. Bye. Been a pleasure. Bye. Thanks, Lee. Bye. Bye. Lee Kenner-Lichtenberg there. And, um, yes, you can... Uh, have a look at our Facebook page and follow the links through to the exhibition. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. And without further ado, and for the first time in 2023, it's with great pleasure we welcome to Radio Maranoa our own cetacean expert, Dave Donnelly. Yay! Welcome, Dave. Yay! Thank you so much, guys. I'm so happy to be back. It's been uh, sitting on the sidelines, as it were. Uh, No injuries here, just ready to go now. Excellent. We've been wondering what you've been up to, and I've been thinking, we really have got to get Dave on, and what's happening with the whales? So let's go straight into that. Um, Maybe we shouldn't be using the term whale soup, but, uh, yeah, I I gather, metaphorically, there's lots of whales out there. Yeah, but it doesn't sound right, whale soup, does it? No, we might not use that term again. (laughs) It is a phrase that I've been aware of uh, 
um, a, a number of researchers using in the past. So I guess it's an accepted phrase these days. But um, yes, it, it's, it, the timing is perfect. You know, we've got um, the arrival of humpback whales on our coast, which has been um, uh, slightly earlier than previous years. But um, we're excited to see that they have arrived and they are passing by our coastline now. And just as of yesterday, the first southern right whales arriving on our coastline as well. And this timing is sort of fits with the, um, the, the, I guess, the moving on of the blue whales from the Bonnie Upwelling region and uh, changing of the guard, as it were. So um, we're very excited and it's, um, it's been an exciting last uh, sort of 10 days or so with quite a number of sightings coming through. So why? What's kicked this off? Like, is it the food source? Yeah, it's a great question. It is a, it's, it's probably to do with temperature cues more than anything else. This is mm-hmm. a migratory period, so these animals are making their way to the, the northern uh, areas of Australia on both sides of the, the continent. Um, so, yeah, I guess there's, there's a little bit of feeding on migration, but uh, it seems to be all pretty much stimulated by what is probably just the moving of the majority of animals to start to pulse out of those Antarctic and subantarctic waters as the, uh, the, those areas start to cool. Yeah, it does raise a question, doesn't it, Dave, that with um, with sea temperatures rising, what this might do if it really is a temperature cue where, that sort of really triggers the whales to start to move out of Antarctic waters and start to head north, what happens if that temperature cue doesn't sort of drop mm. to the level that it needs to be? Yeah, and as always, Bron, there is so many pieces to that puzzle. Um, what does what does ocean temperature do to prey availability and, and distribution and such? And are these animals having to move greater distances whilst fasting to get to places where they can gorge? And uh, just last week, a, a blue whale was recorded off Terrigal in uh, New South Wales in what we we scored as a poor body condition, scapula visible, post-cranial depression, all those uh, telltale signs of a thin blubber layer. So clearly that animal's not doing great. Um, I'm not saying that's representative of a population or populations, but um, it is certainly something we should be conscious of, particularly as our our oceans are changing as fast as they are. Yeah, it's really important because I think, you know, to a degree there's maybe a risk of a false sense of security about where we're at with, with whales and their status, their population status because they've come back from the brink you know various species have come back from the brink of almost extinction and we like to sort of celebrate that but maybe things aren't quite as great as we think they are Absolutely. And there was a great article recently called uh, We Thought We'd Save the Whales. Um, and mm-hmm. saving the whales isn't stopping whaling. It's saving the, It's really saving the environment. Um, whales are just a, an indicator in, in some respects or a flagship, if you like, for people to get motivated to be conscious of those things. And, uh, and, and certainly when you spend enough time looking, you do see change over time. And um, certainly this, you know, sorry, last five or so years, it's really becoming apparent that um, the movement of prey uh, further south um, is, uh, is becoming quite evident. And that's probably got a little bit to do with the EAC and the temperatures associated with that. So um, it's, a, it's a long story. Story which probably won't be concluded in my lifetime or our lifetimes, but um, it's, it's our job as custodians right now to make sure that we uh, are putting in place measures to help um, the, the environment recover from what's happened and try to slow this uh, global warming sea, sea temperature rise that's uh, causing a number of problems, not only with whales, but with things like, you know, kelps and, and algaes and, and the distribution of tropical animals into temperate zones. Um, manta ray was sighted in uh, eastern Bass Strait recently as well. So there's certainly a lot of changes happening. Really? A manta ray in eastern Bass Strait? That's 
More than one. <laughs> Incredible. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes left and we're going to get you on regularly as we move through the, the whale migration season. What What's the timeline looking like, sort of moving ahead, roughly where we are now and what we can expect in the in the next couple of months? Um, yeah, look, we're in the, in the infancy, infancy of 2023 whale season. This is what we call the early pulse of whales. Um, we expect that that's, uh, the, the numbers are only going to increase as the weeks proceed. So probably over the, the coming two to three weeks, we'll see a, a fairly sharp increase in the numbers of whales being sighted on a daily basis. Um, and we'll reach a peak somewhere around about early August uh, towards or late at July. Um, and then we'll see a return of those animals, but not always through the same zone. So we're encouraging people to use days like today to clean their binoculars, clean their cameras, plan their days <laughs> on cliff tops and report their whale sightings to, to us via Podwatch. So we, we've used this phrase recently, never has it been more important for us to know the behaviour of whales through our waters than it is now with so much offshore development um, happening and about to happen. We need to understand what the baseline is, what's normal for whales in our waters. Then we can help inform those environmental plans for the future, which, uh, you know, we all want to do our best. And, yeah, we, we, we just hope that people will be uh, enthused enough to get involved and be part of that process. I reckon that's a great way to close the show, Dave. We started talking about community science. We're finishing uh, talking about community science. So Podwatch, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. Um, next to the photo of you, why not? What, what better way? to do it than that. So um, thanks, uh, Dave. It's been amazing. We'll catch up with you in the next couple of weeks and uh, follow whale migration season through 2023. We look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Bron. Thanks thanks to Triple R team. Always great supporters. Oh, and likewise, thanks to you for all the great work that you do. All right, catch you soon. Until then. Bye. That's it. That's it. That's the end of our show. Thanks to Dave Donnelly. Thanks to Lee Kanner-Lichtenberger. And uh, thanks to Myra and Cara at the start of the program. Um, thanks to you, Kevin Boy. And thanks to you, Bron. <laughs> thanks to Rachel. Uh, oh, yes. Thank you, Rachel. She's just uh, prompted a flashcard telling me, make sure you watch the third instalment of Ningaloo Ningaloo uh, this coming Tuesday on ABC TV, the final instalment. And if you haven't caught the other two, you can do that on iView. It's really easy to watch. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy and uh, on next week's program, Anth, Farm and I will all be in studio. Um, have yourselves a wonderful week. We'll catch you next week for more Radio Marinara. Bye for now. Triple R. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.